Oh, hello, friends. Welcome back. My guest today is Kala Sauerland, and we're talking about what life is really like as a global boxing promoter. Kala is one of the most powerful men in all of world boxing. He's the co-founder of Sauerland Events. He's been behind some of the world's biggest ever fights, and he's the founder of the World Boxing Super Series. Boxing is a legendary sport which captures global attention, but the entire industry is held together by men like Kala, the promoters who make the matches and create the events that we all watch. I wanted to find out how it works. So today, expect to learn Kala's thoughts on Jake and Logan Paul's YouTube boxing careers, his wildest stories from press conferences, just how terrifying Derek Chisora really is, when he's been the most nervous before an event, what he thinks about Dana White, and much more. This episode is so fun. Cal is such a character, and um, it's just cool. It's cool to see how uh, an industry that we see the front of, the front of house, we, we're very uh, familiar with how boxers go on in the ring, but all of the stuff behind the scenes I thought was fascinating. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're going to enjoy this one. But now it's time for the wild and wonderful Kala Sauland. For the people that aren't already familiar with you and what you do, can you give us a rundown of your history? Well, I'm, I'm first and foremost a boxing promoter, um, born into a, a crazy boxing family. Um, people say, how long have you been in boxing? And I say, well, I'm 43 years old now. And I believe that my first babysitter when I was two um, was, was, was actually a world champion at the time. Um, so... I had babysitters as boxers. As a teenager, I worked in gyms in the summer. Well, when I bunked off school, my um, my adopted godfather um, was the late and great Denny Mancini, who ran Lonsdale, started Lonsdale. Had a little shop down before Lonsdale became big. Had a little shop down um, near Carnaby Street, Beak Street in uh, Soho in London. And um, used to skive off school, just hang around the little shop, you know, and watch the... Watch the characters come in and out of the shop. You know, it was everything from from your East End gangsters to your world champions to your to your bin men who boxed at the weekend and were picking up some raps. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, boxing is often seen as a very glamorous sport, a very murky sport, a very colourful sport. And you know, there's you know, I've got to say, in my two and a half decades in the sport of actually working in it and Actually, in my early days, I worked a lot in football as well. Um, but it's just the characters that make it, you know? It's just the characters. We are on paper. We're an unregulated sport. You know, anyone can become a boxing promoter tomorrow. You've got to in the, in Britain, you've got to get your British Board of Boxing Control license. But the questions aren't the toughest to answer. Um, actually, I, I don't even have a license. My brother's a licensed promoter. So um, I haven't even done the test. So I don't, I don't know how easy the questions are. Maybe I've failed. But... Um, no, we've certainly we've you know we've we've promoted all over the world from last year in Japan. Um, actually, no, I'm getting locked with all these lockdowns. So it wasn't even last year; it was the end of the year, but just before pandemic hit. Feels like last Japan, year. Twenty twenty is a write off. You know, yeah, we did twenty two thousand people in Tokyo, eighteen million viewers in front of the television. 
Um, we've done Moscow. We've been, to, you know, all over the world. We promote. I think we promoted in more countries than any other promoter on the planet. And you know, it's it's been a it's 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 a roller coaster ride, and it's it's great fun. You know, it's it's great fun. Different to other promoters, we we've never specialised in, or I've never specialised in one market. I've believed in promoting all over the world, and um, and it's 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 great great to you when you travel with boxing. You see the different cultures around it, you know, in the different places you visit. But you know, the, it's it's um, it's a world that has many stories and many stories we can touch on when 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 we, when we have this hour. What makes a good boxing promoter? If you're going to design one in a lab, what are the sort of personality traits and the characteristics that but you give them? The first thing is you have to be totally and utterly mad. That's the first part. You have to be prepared to devote your life. And when I say your life, I've, I've had situations where I've flown to wonderful parts of the planet, planned a wonderful week in the sunshine, a little, you know, little one of those ocean villas, you know, set it all up, nice week. The second I've stepped in after a 16-hour flight, I've had a call off my lawyer and said, it's all going off in America, different time zones. I, I, so you can, you never know when it's going to hit you. You're, you're basically a firefighter. So these great shows, these big shows you see, there's such a timeline. And I can't think of any big show that there's not, you know, there's not murders around it. And I don't mean murders in the obvious sense. I mean murders in terms of work and, and the, you know, the, the arguments you have with, you know, sometimes it's fighters who've signed for something, you know, for a certain amount of money, then they argue about the money afterwards, or it's the other promoter who's taken a liberty, or it's the trainer who wants to change the date because, you know, trainers are trainers. They want to, they're only interested in the sporting side of it. But ultimately, you're putting on a, a massive event that is seen all over the world. You know, boxing is something that transcends any demographic. You know, there's kids who love boxing, there's grandpas and great-grandpas who love boxing and great-grandmothers who love boxing, actually. Um, so it's it's something that you need to dedicate your life to. You can't say, I'm going to do it, you know, sort of as a, as a bit of a laugh. You can be a manager advisor and do that. You know, that's cool. But if, if you are a promoter and you're promoting shows, especially at the highest level, you need to dedicate yourself 100% and you have to accept that. Yep. Family first, of course, but boxing is a close second, and it, and it always will be, if not on par, you know. And it's 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 a huge commitment, and it's not something that you can just think you walk in and make a quick buck out of because that ain't going to happen. There's enough people who've fallen flat on their faces, clever people, very very clever people in other businesses who fought boxing. It's all those millions of dollars we hear about, but I tell you, you got you got you got to take them all as they come, and unfortunately. You know, sometimes you need to get knocked down to the floor and stand up and shake yourself off and go another round, even as a promoter, you know. So, you know, it always sounds so easy and so brilliant on paper, but uh, there's some very, very tough times on that road as well. Other than fighting fires and trying to sort other people's shit out, like, what's your job supposed to be? What are you actually supposed to do? Because I hear about this. this, Boxing's an iconic sport, right? And everyone hears it. Even on the TV, we get to see behind the curtain a tiny bit as the audience that the fight's been made. 
You know, that's like a sentence that you hear, and you're like, well, what, what do you mean? Yeah, like, what's your hard, job? What yeah, do you do, Callum? Right. What do you do? Okay, well, I'll start with, I'll start with the actual, what, what does a promoter do? It's no different to a concert promoter. The difference is we book two acts. Our two acts, though, are gladiators. They are people who want to take each other's heads off. And we, you know, so we, we sign these two up. We book a venue. We sell the television, media rights. These days, the online rights, the OTT rights, as you call them. Um, there's a, a sponsorship. There's obviously the tickets. And you hope that what you're paying, the two gladiators, is slightly less than what you're taking in. But it's not always the case. You know, fighters will tell you, no, it's always the case, but it certainly isn't always the case. So you've got to bust the gut over that. But then there's moving obstacles along the way as well. But, you know, but on paper, that's all we do. We book we book two acts, you know, which is two gladiators in our case, book a venue and, and sell the rights and sell the tickets, you know. So it sounds very simple on paper, Chris. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the fight, when you hear promoters say, oh, you know, this negotiation, this, listen, fights are very easy to make if both want to tango. So you've got two guys who want to get in a real, or girls these days, increasingly popular and great and, and becoming a great sport, female boxing. But it's if you've got two fighters who want to want to fight and they're, and they're realistic and, and, and reasonable about it. You do it very quickly. I remember doing David Hay versus Nikolai Valuev. I remember if you remember, it was the, the, the beast from the East, the big Russian giant, the first ever Russian heavyweight world champion, David Hay. And you know, they've been talking for ages. They were supposed to fight the Klitschko's, the one Klitschko rather. They were talking for months and months and months. I was in London. I was, um, Staying in the Dorchester, I called up the, the called up the uh, I called up the, uh, the the manager at the time of David Hay, uh, Adam Booth. Very bad reputation for being the dark lord, you know, the mega mega fussy guy. And I'm thinking, right, I might as well meet him on the off chance they haven't done a deal with the Klitschko's yet. We met for an espresso in the bar, wasn't even a gin and tonic. And at the end of the espresso, we had a deal. We had a deal on at least verbally. We had a deal. Um, and we went off and, and, and had one of the, you know, it was a massive event. Uh, it was one of the biggest pay-per-views at the time. Um, you know, David versus Goliath. And it launched the heavyweight career of, of David Hay, who we went on to, to co-promote for many years afterwards. So it was, um, you know, it was, it was just, it, but it shows, the, the reason I use that example, when people talk about how difficult it is to make fights, of course, we're all difficult characters in boxing. We know that. That's why we're in boxing. But we all, if you all want something, you make it happen. So, you know, I think some of it is is ego, you know. It's some of it's ego, but you've got someone to step over your own ego. So luckily, I can, I can see my shadow via my ego. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but there are some that are trickier than others. But at the end of the day, it's not rocket science, you know. We didn't go to university to become a boxing promoter, and you don't need to either. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I'd like to see the statistic on how many promoters actually went to university. That have a degree. So, yeah, that would be an interesting one. Yeah. So what did deals get held up by? If you can do one in the space of an espresso, what are the most common reasons that you can't make um, a fight? Okay. On, the, on the, the top, top, top level, normally those fighters are contracted to different networks. So 
you know, one might be with ESPN in the States and the other one might be on Fox in the States. The other one might be on Sky in the UK or BT in the UK. So then you've got to work out. Those are obviously very important partners. And that's the trickiest part to those fighters and their promoters. So to suddenly say, sorry, broadcast partner, on this fight, you can't have it because we're going to the competition. It's, of course, a difficult discussion to have. Um, but if you look at probably the, the biggest financial, the biggest commercial fight in, in, in history was Pacquiao Mayweather. And there at the time, the, the, the thing that got the fight done was, was it was HBO and Showtime, the two biggest networks. They've been arguing for years, massive, massive commercial enemies. And they said, come on, we both show it. We open it up and we, um, we, we and, and it worked. And guess what? It was it was known as the the, the billion dollar fight, wasn't it? I mean, it was a terrible fight, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. But the, it's so but the build up was good, wasn't it? So, um, so you know, it's always a solution, and you know, I think broadcasters would rather there be a solution and maybe share rights, um, be non-exclusive, but actually see the fight happen. And um, you know, in the last few years. Um, I've been I've been running the World Boxing Super Series as as the, as the chief boxing officer, the main um, the, the main person on the sporting side of things, and we put on the greatest fights in the last few years, become known as the Champions League of Boxing, because we go out and take the the, the boxers out of their or, or borrow the boxers as such out of their contracts, and 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 have managed to create some. So, you know, we, the year before last, when there was still before the pandemic, we had out of the five fights of the year globally, we had the number one and the number three, you know, but we only promoted, what was it 10 shows that year? Some promoters were promoting 50 shows, you know, probably a thousand big shows that year worldwide. But uh, that we managed to do it with so few. But if you bring the best against the best, it's always worth doing in any sport. And that was our philosophy. That is our philosophy at the World Boxing Super Series. So, you know, it, it depends a little bit on what your ambition is. Yeah? And sometimes, you know, fights don't get made because it's easier to fight a lesser opponent, pay less for him. You know, we've got to work out the mathematics. Yeah? So you often see big champions taking, you know, taking the easy road sometimes. And that's a shame for the sport, but, you know, people still watch. It seems crazy how many different parties you have to juggle. It seems like you're the sort of keystone in the middle of a bridge with about a million other stones that are a part of yeah. it. So you've got the broadcaster, you've got the trainer, you've got the athlete, you've got where are they on their journey, what's their trajectory, who have they just fought, what's their record like, what's the person that they're about to fight. And, and this is all multiplied by two because you've got two different parties coming in. It must be very difficult to kind of blend all that together. Yeah, but Chris, is, and, the, and the thing is, it, it's it's got a lot more complicated because let's go back, let's rewind to, you know, people don't watch boxing too much. Think about Rocky, the film Rocky. You know, Rocky as a trainer, you know, maybe as a cut man in the corner. There's a broadcaster. You know, the time, of, uh, let's say the 70s, 80s in, in, in the US, it was, I don't know, NBC, ABC. You know, it wasn't really much of a... Uh, much of a choice you know you got signed up and the fight was done and, and everyone fought each other it wasn't complicated now on both sides so if i go to the boxer the way that boxing's evolved as a sport the training is completely different so you don't have one trainer 
You know, the top stars don't just have a trainer. You know, um, the training is now broken up between the boxing training, which might even be, by the way, separate things. There might be tech, the technical side of things, the power side of things, strategy. But you also have a, a dedicated strength and conditioning coach. That might also be broken up into two things, by the way. That might be strength and the conditioning side. Um, you then have the, the, the nutritionist side of things. Then you have the, the physiotherapist. Side. By the way, these are all voices at the table. They might not be directly at the table, but I remember, for example, um, Michael Kessler, very, very famous boxer from, from the Scandinavia, one of the, one of the best super middleweights in recent history. He had a physio, a great physio, by the way, but he had just as much impact on the boxer and his decisions as his manager. So, you know, the, 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 let's say the people at the table with a voice is much bigger. You've got, um, you've now got managers, advisors, agents. You know, there's a new name every day for something. They've entered the market somehow, which is normal in any sport, in, in football as well. You know, where there's money and professional sport, you're always going to get that, that element. And some are good and some are not so good. Um, then you look at, then you look on the other side of what we handle. That, so that's the money out, right? That's the money I've got to get the act, as we said before, the gladiator in. So that's my deal with him. But then I've got to go recoup my money. Who's that? That's, that's of course, the tickets, but that's actually the, the easiest part of it. And, but the, the broadcasting side of things, hold on. We used to just have, you know, in the 80s, you had your, your, your standard channels. Then we came to the 90s, satellite television, the age of digital, right? So you had, you know, you started getting, for the UK, you had Sky Sports suddenly, you know, Sky Sports then went digital. So suddenly it wasn't Sky Sports 1, it was Sky Sports 1, 2, 3, 4. Then they got, now we've had BT enter on, on, the, on the pay television side of things. I'm using very much UK examples, but you could look also in the States, you know, ESPN expanding. Uh, you could look in, 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 other, in other markets. Everyone will, will see it in their own countries. But... On top of that now, we've got these huge streaming services, you know, which are, by the way, fantastic value. And they're really carving the market up now and making it very tricky for the traditional broadcasters. You look at DAZN, for example, massive, massive impact in the US, in Germany, in Spain, in Italy. <clears throat> and now they've launched globally. So you've actually got a platform which is global and showing boxing all over the world on one platform. I mean, it's a fantastic tool. And for boxing fans, it's, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But yeah, I mean, yesterday, even, even recently as yesterday, the, the Triller, the, also a new social media platform, pops up and, and makes a huge impact in the sport. You know, promoted recently that they had the, whatever one thinks of it, but the let's say the old man boxing with, uh, with Tyson versus Jones, which... You know, you might like it or not, but it did. I, I believe it did 1.6 million buys. Yeah, so you know that's that's decent numbers for a couple of old fellas um, doing it. Snoop Doggy Dog said, "What did he say in his commentary? It was like watching watching my two uncles having a fight in the family." <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, there's, you know, but 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 it but it sells, and you've got these YouTubers now, and you know, I've been quite vocal about that. I think it's okay. I think it's good to see YouTubers who want to take up a sport like boxing. It's a, I, I would, I I let my kid box. You know, I would, I, I you know, I think it's. 
a great sport to keep fit, but it's if you want to take it further, it's a great sport as well to, to, to keep to have confidence and to be able to defend yourself. But what they've done is some of them have actually taken it quite seriously. I have a lot of respect for that. I don't like this boxer versus YouTuber because I find it it's ridiculous. But but the but the YouTuber versus the YouTuber, I don't know if I've got respect for that. If they have proper camps, you know, why not? And it brings a, 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 tar- a target audience that is great for us is, of course, the younger the younger fans, you know? I was going to say, that must be, you've got Jake Paul against Ben Askren coming up. Ben's a wrestler, although he's an Olympian. He's a wrestler. You know, what, a... You know, you know what, Chris, you know more about it than me. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I'm, <laughs> so that's, the, that's the next one. You've got Logan Paul and Mayweather, which has just been pushed back. Yeah. And then you have his younger yeah. brother yeah. and you have a, a, an Olympic wrestler. Now, yeah. ben, um, Ben's criticized sometimes for his striking and yeah. um i think that's what makes that fight slightly interesting but you're totally correct has there been in the sort of purist boxing community i imagine there must have been some pushback it's seen as like this noble art the sweet science Where, where's your stance on this do you think that these youtube I, I, boxing events is... should be allowed i i think if they are youtubers against youtubers and they have had a camp and they've got themselves a license i, I sorry there's no what was what, what's the difference between someone on, off the street who wants to start to become a boxer i mean as long as they have a reasonable age they get licensed absolutely go for it go for it i think it's great but then box people at a novice level so a youtuber fighting another youtuber as long as they've, they've done the training and everything and I was uh, I, I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to, to have to wake up with my son and watch the uh, what was it KSI against um, against Paul fight. I mean, if, listen, as I said, in my teens, I hang around gyms. I've seen all sorts. Yeah, I I thought myself I was a terror. I had two left hands, you know, and unfortunately, I'm not a southpaw. So, you know, I've seen boxing at all levels, and you know, it was it was it was entertaining. I thought. I thought actually KSI is quite athletic. I think that below the pools are clearly as well. But, you know, it's it's obviously levels off Floyd Mayweather. You know, I mean, that's like me saying, yeah, I had a bit, played a bit of tennis back in the day. I'm going to become Federer. I'm going to do a three-month camp and I'm challenging you, you know, Roger Federer and me. You know, we'll do it down uh, down down uh, Regent's Park. We'll book a court. That's, you know, I mean, you know, seriously, that, 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 that part is entertainment, though. If they want to do it, then do it. But but it's not boxing, you know. But listen, it makes probably makes a lot of number sense. But what's the difference yeah. between that a YouTuber fighting a YouTuber and a YouTuber fighting a boxer? Then is your concern for the safety of the YouTuber, or is it something more kind of I, uh, sacred to... about the fact that Mayweather shouldn't be going down to the level of someone that's just a YouTuber? I think that. I think that. First of all, it's so unrealistic that unless that boxer, and, and this is in the case Mayweather's case, unless he toys with him and I don't know, throws throws his punches at thirty percent, you know, um, I think it's bloody dangerous. I think it's bloody dangerous. I, I, I think that it's not it's not tennis. The, the example I used with Federer was a bit of a laugh, but it's it's a thing that if if you've ever stood in a ring. And, and you've, I, I've been, I've been in a ring with, as a, as I mentioned before, as a, as a terrible gym fighter. That's how I would describe myself. I wouldn't even call myself an amateur. As a terrible gym fighter, who liked a bit of a tear up as a kid, 
Um, I remember being in a ring with um, with my old coach. Actually, he was he was a pro. He was there was nothing special. He was a decent. But listen, when I say nothing special, it's still a great credit to him. He was a he was a British level pro. Had to retire with, with certain medical reasons early and, and became a trainer. Uh, Clay O'Shea, great, great trainer. And I remember him sparring with me. He wasn't even sparring, he was toying with me. And what do you want to understand? It is the sweet science. If you can box properly, you won't come near me. You won't be able to even land lever in my area. Yeah. And I remember standing throwing my right. You know, I was, I was bad. I was 19, 20 years old, lots of testosterone in me. And I was I was giving it a real go and I was throwing my right. I just remember him just moving and dropping me with a, a with a body shot. And the body shot for people who don't know is aimed at the liver, which has the direct impact of cutting the oxygen to the brain about two seconds later. So you stand and then boom, you go to the floor. And it was I was like, whoa. Okay, yeah, that that prospect of a pro contract is definitely gone. Um, probably didn't help that I had a terrible hangover from the night before. Uh, the liver certainly felt it, and and it was my memory, you know. And, I, and that has always stayed with me. So when you see these journeymen in the ring, and you think, "Oh, well, rubbish!" Yeah, that journeyman. If you stood with him, you wouldn't get near him, right? So to say, as a, and once again. Credit to the YouTubers. I've been very harsh in other interviews about them, but I do give them credit for the training they put in because, I mean, that KSI was in, was in the condition of his life, that Paul, like I said, it seems to be, you know, is what he is. I think he's a bit of a knob when he, when he, when he goes and talks and it disrespects fighters. I think that's disgusting, and I think he deserves to be put in his place. But the realism of him and Floyd Mayweather, who is, once again, not my ex-British level pro trainer and you know this is Floyd Mayweather this is arguably well no definitely the greatest defensive boxer of all time so what on earth are you doing in a ring with him in your in your what is it his second pro fight and by the way just to just just to put this on paper he lost his first pro fight against KSI so so he's got he's got a record of Norton one and he's fighting the greatest defensive boxer of all time. Okay. Ricky Hatton, by the way, Ricky Hatton, a legend, a great fighter, got knocked the fuck out by Mayweather. Now, you tell me, <laughs> Logan Paul and Ricky Hatton have in common in the boxing ring. Nothing, apart from they both have two legs. That's it. There's no other similarity. They don't even have the same hands. Yeah. They don't even have the same hands. So Logan Paul, give it a go. Don't mouth off about fighters when you are a YouTuber. Let's get that straight. You are a YouTuber. But you're very good at YouTubing. But maybe beat another YouTuber first and, and, and you know, then, you know, then call out, I don't know, call out the local area champion, you know, maybe. You know, <laughs> the greatest of all time, and then talk crap about him as well. So it's, but once again, I get it. It's a business, and it's fine. I just hope that Floyd has one hand taped behind his back at the time, and Floyd has the other hand taped behind his head at the time. He'll still win. Then it might the be a fair fight. He, st he still win because the other way, if he wanted to, wouldn't lay 
one glove on him, even without hands. So, you know, so how do I see it? I, see, I, think, it's, I think it's great that these guys, are, they are making an effort to train. It's not like they go in there and just, you know, they do put, their, they put, do put the time in the gym and you know, that's all good. But they should be fighting at levels, which is entertaining for us. You know, I'm not saying that I was super entertained now as a purist by watching KSI Logan Paul, but I respected it. I respected it, and I let my son watch it. I let him pay his five euro in pocket money for it. You know, yeah. But if it brings that that younger audience in, exactly. Um, I imagine that for you guys down the line, where are they going to be if they watch Mayweather Logan Paul and they love it, and then they think, well, actually. This boxing stuff's all right. And then in they go to their local gym and then maybe they start paying for your pay-per-views because they get into the more pure side of stuff. I think what you've identified there is is kind of what everyone has in the back of their mind, which is that the gulf in ability between anyone that hasn't been a boxer since they were a kid and dedicated their entire life to it, and even the worst pro is yeah. is probably absolutely massive. And we don't we don't really realize that because obviously when you see Mayweather Pacquiao, they both make it look so effortless. But we might see probably for the first time, I think, someone who's like a proper noob, you know, like a, a, a normie stepping into the ring with, as you say, someone who's essentially a ghost. Yeah. And but, but once again, I mean, even even Conor McGregor Mayweather was a, was a farce. Yeah, I mean, it was a farce that sold a shitload of pay-per-views. Yeah, it sold, a, and and it was a spec. And I I watched it, but I mean, Connor's a great fighter in the in the terms of fighting. You know, he's a he's a mixed martial arts uh, martial arts, martial arts, <laughs> martial arts sorry, sorry, Connor, uh, mixed martial arts expert, and and he's and he's let's let's face it. He, he's he's been the face of the UFC for the last five years, you know. Um, win or lose, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's Conor McGregor, you know. He's the, the most recognisable face in the history of the UFC by a mile, yeah? by a mile. And the only, probably, actually probably the only fighter, I would say, that has transgressed beyond the brand of those three letters. You know, he's the only one, if he walked down Oxford Street, who everyone would pick out. George St. Pierre, you could argue back back a few years, but when he walked down Oxford Street, I don't think he would get stopped by a mob. McGregor certainly would, alone by the way he walks. Um, but now I'm, I'm digressing from the question. So how do I see it? I, and once again, I, I refer to that fight because that is a fight between a great fighter and a great boxer, and it was in a way an interesting spectacle. Did, did Mayweather let him have a few rounds to make it more interesting? I'm pretty sure he did. You think I'm so? Pretty sure he did. I'm pretty sure he did. Mayweather is is a genius. You know, he is he is an absolute genius in a ring. Uh, there's not been no fighter like him ever, ever. Um, not in terms of being exciting going forward, but he. I mean, he developed the shoulder roll. I don't. He developed the shoulder roll, which, if anyone doesn't know what a shoulder roll is, is when you lift your shoulder up almost as a third hand to protect your chin. You know. He would ride punches with shoulders. I mean, you know, he did things in the, defensively. So, but this was against opposition like Oscar De La Hoya, like Ricky Hatton, I just mentioned, like Canelo Alvarez. I mean, he schooled Canelo Alvarez. Yeah. 
And Canelo Alvarez wasn't a baby then, by the way. He was an up-and-comer, but he wasn't a baby. This is the greatest fighter on the planet at the moment, Canelo Alvarez, and Mayweather schooled him. But now Mayweather, no, no, he's old. It's a 50-50 against, uh, against Logan Paul. You said that Mayweather's the best defensive fighter of all time. Who's the best offensive fighter of all time, in your opinion? I, I think the mainstream would always go with Mike Tyson. You know, I mean, it's difficult to, to not. I mean, once I talked about the shoulder roll, Mike Tyson developed the peekaboo style, you know, which was famously built by Custer Marta, probably the greatest trainer of all time, um, where, he, uh, where he very famously put across the ring a wire between the two corners and would, would duck up and down between this, uh, over this, uh, underneath this wire. And that was the style he developed, you know, behind the two hands and the, these ferocious hooks that came out of it. I mean, Mike Tyson rarely threw a jab. Um, so you'd probably have to, you'd have to go with, with Tyson. Um, yeah, I think Mike Tyson is, is the equivalent in the offensive style, yeah. Talking about the UFC, what's your opinions on Dana White and what he's doing? Have you ever met him? I think no, I've, I've, I've had nothing to do with UFC um, in my life. Uh, I've I looked at it from the outside. Um, I think that it's uh, it's a great organization, the way they've built the sport. I mean, mustn't forget the storyline with the Petita brothers and, and Dana. And what a fantastic job. I mean, I just look at it as, a, as let's say, a sports entrepreneur and forget the boxing from out on for a second. And it's, it's, I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, they took a sport that was unregulated, in debt, and didn't exist, and was partly illegal, and turned it into a $4.2 billion brand, you know? I mean, what, what more is there to, for me to say? Whether Dana White's an idiot or whether he's a great guy, uh, I just, I pulled my hat to him for, for that. So um, I, I couldn't comment on what I think of Dana White too much. I think, I think he's great value at a press conference. I, I like his style. Um, and I think uh, when, it, when you see when you see him with a, with a, with the athletes, you can tell that he, he is he, he lives it, he breathes it. I'm sure he could have taken an easy exit um, after the sale. He didn't, um, which I think has has kept the brand where it is because it was very easy after the sale like that for a sport that hasn't got that history to suddenly go off and disappear. Yeah? And Dana's definitely done a great job. Post-sale, pre-sale, those Petita brothers, uh, though, for me, modern-day geniuses in sport. I mean, what they did with the brand, you have to look at it. They had a, they had a you can they could say, oh, well, they can do this, they could have done that. Well, if they picked a sport where they had carte blanche, you know, I mean, the, ra- the ratings are created by, them, by yourselves. The, 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 the whole environment is self-controlled and... You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that there was no major brand as a fighter that came out. It was always about the three letters. And boxing is very different to that. You know, as promoters, you know, um, World Boxing Super Series or Team Sauerland, Eddie Hearn with Matchroom or Bob Arum with Top Rank. You know, let's face it. Who gives a shit about us? Yeah. So let's not take ourselves too seriously with our brands. No one cares. People want the gladiators. They want the fighters. You know, um, it's not about the promoter. The promoter, yeah, we can sometimes we can be quite funny. We can make, sh- you know, have arguments. We can, you know, it's a bit of pantomime stuff. But at the end of the day, boxing is about the two gladiators. It's about the greatest fights, the best versus the best. You know, and 
in UFC, it's always been about, oh, it's a UFC fight. You know, it's not the mainstream sitting in a bar. I've been, how often have I been in a bar in the States? Sat in the bar, ordered a beer, UFC on the telly, and I have no idea who's fighting. I don't have a I mean, I don't know much about UFC anyways, but but you sit there and you watch it and it's and it, and it, and it, it you can get into it. You know, it's for me it's as a sport, it's so technical, and I mean this is a compliment, but it's too technical. If I don't understand, you know, like the holes, I, I find it very difficult. My brother does jiu-jitsu, for example. Um, Roger Gracie. Um, that's not my brother, but <laughs> he does <laughs> Roger Gracie school of, school of jiu-jitsu. So, but unless you do it, you don't know what hold he's got in the floor. And they're just, for me, they're just rolling around in a pair of spandex boxer shorts. It ain't my cup of tea. Um, and, and, you know, that, that for me is very complex to watch. I like boxing because I can be half asleep on the couch with one eye open, watch the screen, and I still understand it's man against man, stand up, tear up. You know? Do you think that you this... go down and there's a count? I think UFC is fascinating, though. I think it's fascinating, but I find it a wonder. And once again, credit to, to, the, to the fatigue to brothers of Dana White for creating a a spectacle out of a sport that is so technical that actually for the mainstream it's impossible to follow you know yeah when they you know when they finish the fight and they jump on each other and all that you think that you get but to get to that point and you speak to the professionals about the holds about what's going on on the inside it's impossible to follow i mean i've never done jujitsu i've never read i've done a lot of wrestling on, on the pavement but I, I wouldn't i've never been taught wrestling so i wouldn't know the holds you know you wouldn't know it's not a street fight. This is a technical, every move when they're on top of each other is like chess. It's fascinating, but it's chess don't sell because it's too, it's too complicated. You know? So, so, it, you know, and, and people listening might say, oh, why can a blood sport be so complicated? Well, I'll tell you something. It's the chess, chess and fight sports, huge similarities, huge similarities, massive. And I've worked with a lot of Russian fighters and Eastern Bloc fighters and big chess, big chess players. I'm not saying you're a big chess player. That means you should get into a ring now. But, and, and vice versa, probably not as well. But I remember speaking to a very old Russian trainer about 10 years ago. We were on a camp in, in, in somewhere near Siberia. And in the evening, we were in the, in the, in the sauna and then we go out and sort of watch them play chess. And he would explain to me, there's not much difference with a fight in chess. You got your pawn, the jab. You know, you got the when to when to when to when you when you when you make your move, when you when you faint, when you. So there's lots of different things that that, and it's a. I know this is going to sound ridiculous for for some people listening, but it's it's the most intellectual sport boxing. You know, I'm not saying all us fans of boxing are the most intellectual people of all time, but. but but we appeal to all sorts, you know. Um, but but uh, but as a sport, as a component sport, when it comes to fitness, strength, mental ability, strategy, there's no other sport that covers that amount of components. There's no other sport where if you take your eye off what you're doing for one second, listen, 
I love, I like, I like a round of golf. I like, love golf. I'm terrible at it, and I hate it when I'm on the course. But I love it when I'm on the course. But when you hit that ball, you know, uh, if anyone plays golf, they will understand that to take strike the ball is takes so many different things that you got to think about at once. But if you screw it up, okay. Worst case, you have to pull it out of water and drop for two and whatever. It's okay, but you can save the round. You can go off and birdie and eagle the next hole. You take your eye off the price for one second in boxing, it's a very good chance you end up in hospital. So that's the that's the issue. You know, that's 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 the thing. And and imagine taking that focus required and at the same time physically drained, mentally drained, heat's getting to you, you're being punched the whole time, you're blocking, you know, it's it's hell. It, and I, that I'm going to make a sit. The only sport for me that comes close to it is downhill skiing. The similarities of boxing and downhill skiing is phenomenal. You have to fight the mountain. You're getting bumped the whole time. You're getting. You've got a, ice comes. Your 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 ski goes, but you're going at 120. Yeah, you're going down a. You're not going down a a piece. You're going down a. You're down behind, pretty much down a cliff, where, which, by the way, in the morning before the sun comes up, they've layered with water, so you're actually on ice, sheet ice. I mean, the, it's, for me, it's a phenomenal sport, downhill skiing, phenomenal sport. And that is the, that, that's the closest similarity in sports I can see with boxing now. Formula One, you can argue. You can argue Formula One. You get, But my argument there would be, First of all, the, the Formula One these days is a lot different to the Formula One in the seventies and the eighties, in a good way as well, because it was it was probably too dangerous at the time. Um, but but at the same time, it's it, you've got a huge team guiding you through that. When you're a fighter or a downhill skier, you are out there alone. You can have all you can have the best promoter in the world. You have the best coaches that we discussed before. You can have the best media campaign. But guess what? When everyone gets out that ring. And everyone, it's just you and the other guy or the other girl. And that moment uh, is is something that I think why boxing is the only pay-per-view sport or the only fight sport or any sport, actually. There's no other sport that works on pay-per-view. They've tried football. They've tried, football, they've tried the Premier League, actually, during lockdown. So the biggest moan of, of, the, of the country was that they're charging us for individual matches, pay-per-view matches. It, it fell flat on its face. Boxing is the only sport that we buy as an individual event. People say, oh, well, what can that be? Why is, why is that? I say, well, it's, it's quite simple. You're paying for, and it sounds horrible, but you're paying for the suffering of this guy or girl going through hell, not only in that fight, but you need to see what happens in a fight camp. They do that weeks and weeks, if not months and months of sparring uh, all different types. They go on the crazy, you know, people talk about Iron Man and uh, full respect to it. Forget it, forget, forget it, forget it. Go into a boxing fight camp and see what a fighter goes through. Making weight, yeah? Making weight while trying to still gain muscle, yeah? Bodybuilders listening, the hardest thing in the world. Lose weight, gain muscle. How's that work? You know, 
pretty much impossible, but that's the, you know, in bodybuilding, you have, you have certain other uh, aids, but, um, but, you know, it, 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 you know, it's, there's, it, it's unfortunately been an increased level of, of, of doping in boxing, but that's the pressure of the sport. And, you know, I think it's a problem that you're going to see less and less because the strict, the testing is stricter and stricter. And it's also the reason why, you know, certain people are getting found out and it, it, it will put people off. We need to, we need to come up with lifetime bans, you know, hundred uh, percent. We need to, we need to, in Germany, for example, the boxing is actually, um, it's a sport where, 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 which I, I think if you enter this, there's certain substances, which are, you know, increasing your ability to take a punch yeah i mean that's pretty much like suicide what, if I what go, like what sort so, of stuff so 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 you can take there's stuff i remember um actually marius back he took it against i don't know what i don't know what the name i'm not an expert on doping but but he took it against klitschko and was pounded into hospital it basically keeps your senses going Shit. Um, well, if we th though, uh, think about what KO, it's for, it's, like a KO is your mean, body's uh, protection, uh, right? I, I, I was just about to say, a KO, it, it sounds terrible now, but a KO is actually almost healthy. I mean, doctors listening will say, stupid boxing promoter here. It's healthy in the sense that it's the body shutting down. It's game over, right? I know it's not healthy, so don't, don't come at me and tell me I'm talking shit. I'm not talking shit. The way the body says it's game over. And imagine taking something that says you can pound me and I'm not going to go KO. I mean, it's, it's super dangerous for, you, for, you, for yourself. Um, but there's people doing that. And, you know, likewise, if I take a strength performance enhancing uh, drug, which it is ultimately performance enhancing, whatever you want to call it, it's a drug, and you're taking these strength drugs, you're basically going in there with a loaded gun, aren't you? You know, it's like me and you say, "Come on, let's have a let's have a water pistol fight," and you turn up with a magnum, right? Fully cotton load with with dum dum bullets, you know. So that, that's what it is. So for for me, it, it, when it comes to that type of, and you have to differentiate, there's a big difference between a doper who's using it to cut weight, yeah. Not not that's of course it should be banned, but the ban must be different for someone who is using it for actually going into a ring. It's the same, we're putting a horseshoe in my glove. Where's the difference? If I'm taking something and there's, there's proven scientific reports um, which, which show the strength difference, and boxing isn't a sport, by the way, of muscle. So if you see a guy with muscles, don't necessarily worry. His power, I can show you boxers that look like rakes, yeah, which are definitely not beach bodies who would smash holes in the guy with muscles. It's totally irrelevant. But there are strength-enhancing drugs. Actually, there was a boxer, Urkan um, um, Tepper, name him, shame him, um, a, a Turkish-German fighter. He fought against David Price, our fighter. And he hit him, uh, knocked him out, I think, in two rounds. And I was just thinking after the fight, mate, this guy, he looked like... He looked like someone who 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 who'd been who spent his life working in a kebab shop. I mean, his his body looked like it was it was terrible. But you see heavyweights like that, and they're fit as a fiddle, you know. But this guy, he, there was something about him. I remember sitting there waiting in the doping control with David and him, and David was 
devastating. I'm just looking at this guy who's too cocky for his own good. And, and they found a steroid factory in his, in his flat. So he got tested positive for strength. And that, for me, is a case of what's the difference between that and taking a horseshoe and putting in like old school, like you see in the films, you know, the cartoons, and putting a horseshoe in my hand. And, mate, listen, if you punch someone on the street, what can you get done for? ABH, you get three years, yeah? You go someone on the street with a, with a knuckle duster, you punch them, you're going to go down for up to seven years. What's the difference? In, in boxing, it should be exactly the same thing. If it's a, if it's a strength-enhancing drug, put them away. Put them away. Simple as that, you know? But you need to cut We're in a day and age of where you need to quantify the punishments according to the drug. And it's not about, well, doping this. Um, listen, doping is, is not welcome at all in boxing. And in fact, we've invested, as a company, we've invested hundreds and hundreds of thousands per year in, in doing these tests. We were the first promoters in the 90s who started VADA testing. You know, we did in-training tests. We were the first promoters on planet Earth to do it. And I remember the time we had, I said we didn't know we were the good people, but actually the time we were, we were made to do it by our broadcast partner. It was when, when all the, the cycling kicked off, all the, uh, the EPO stuff. And, you know, we, we did it. It cost us an arm and a leg. But you know what? We had a clean, we had a clean conscience. And actually, to be fair, in 10 years, I think we caught two people. One of them with, with, with fucking weed. I'm like, mate, ban him for stupidity. I mean, how stupid. I mean, listen, I get there's some drugs you'd want to take before a fight. Weed is not one of them. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's for sure, man. That's for sure. So, I mean, what, I mean who, take, who smokes a joint and goes into the ring? I mean, you know, so you do get some lunatics. But, um, but on the whole, has boxing got a doping problem? No. no. Are there dopers in boxing? Absolutely, like any professional sport. Will they get caught? Eventually they will, yeah. And they need to get the front book thrown out. Going back to your side of the gig, is there a particular event that you've been most nervous before? A particular performance that you've had ready to go? I mean, I've had some crazy ones over the years. I mean, I've had some, I've had, I've had, let me think of some nervous, nervous ones. I mean, I had, I remember one, wasn't nervous before the event, it was actually during the event. We did the first heavyweight championship of the world in, in Switzerland. Um, so it was the first ever world heavyweight championship to take place in, in Switzerland, not a place to associate with boxing, although Muhammad Ali did actually box in Zurich. So we did it together. It was with uh, my partner at the time, Don King, who most people know, the guy with the, with the tallest hair on the planet. And um, what a character. I can give you a whole list of stories about Don King. But this one's, this one's one that stood out because we've we done this event. So it was the first ever event that they didn't know much about boxing. And, you know, Switzerland's not a cheap place. So the, the tickets were very expensive. And there were about three, 4,000 for the VIP tickets, um, which did get you a nice glass of champagne and a bit of foie gras. But, you know, it's, it's still about the show. So we had a big pop act on. I think it was Ronan Keating who was singing at the fight. We burned the lasers going off. Anyways, so the fight starts and it was, uh, it was Valuev that we talked about earlier, the, the bit, this huge, what was it? Seven foot three heavyweight champion, biggest heavyweight champion of all time. And 
he's fighting an American called Jermaine McClyne. So the, the Swiss are sitting there, they're watching, you know, they've paid big money to watch this fight. Second round, McClyne's thrown a punch, totally missed, totally missed, slipped on the canvas on our sponsor logo. So I'm thinking, oh my God, right? And I've seen him go, and I, I do a bit, fair bit of training myself. So I, I recognized straight away what he'd done. He'd done his meniscus. He, he, was, he was game over. There was no way he was getting back up. There was no fight on. It was it was over in, 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 in you know he was he was gone you know he couldn't continue so I'm standing thinking oh my god no war so Don has jumped up and anyone who, who hasn't seen Don he always carries his flags and Don's waving the flags and shouting and screaming and saying amazing amazing and I'm thinking oh my god how are we going to explain this like this can happen in boxing I mean, it can happen in any sport I guess but you know better can tripping these Swiss, isn't he? So he can, you know, break his ankle in the, in the Wimbledon final, God forbid, but it can all happen. But I'm standing there and the press have rushed over and luckily Donna's stood up and taken the lead because I didn't know what to say. And he's going, did you see that, guys? Did you see that? And I'm thinking, did you see what, Donna? The guy slipped on the canvas. He punched him. It was a delayed effect. I mean, he hadn't hit him in about 20 seconds before the, before the incident. It was a delayed effect. It was the punch, the sucker punch from Russia with love. <laughs> and he's waving the flags and they're going. But the thing was, he couldn't sell ice to the Eskimos all day long. They lapped it up. The people were... So he turned this this thing into this fable punch from Russia with love, and I'm thinking, no, nah, this is this is just too much. And and he, you know, and and I've got so many stories with with Don over the years, um, you know. But but that was let's say one of the one of the most nervous moments that that, I can, that, that jumps out at me. But plenty, plenty, plenty. I mean, I also I remember the the, the first time you know I was in my late twenties, I flew to Russia. And, you know, my first time in Russia and I was trying to sign the Olympic champion at the time, heavyweight champion, Alexander Povetkin. And in the process of doing it, I had to, you know, meet the guys and, you know, you know, let's put it this way. Um, they, they, they were, they were, they weren't exactly businessmen. Let's, let's, let's put it that way. And I was taken out to this remote village about an hour outside Moscow. My phone suddenly went like no more signal. I suddenly started realized they're using scramblers, so you couldn't even get a, get get service in the area. It was all you know, it was proper movie stuff. And I'm thinking, where the hell am I? I ended up staying there for about a week, plied with vodka, had the greatest time, and came home with a contract. But it was it was stepping into the unknown. You know, what I mean, it was Russia. Yeah, I had a, I had, a, I had a translator who flew over with me. Um, but it was it was one of those one of those many situations that boxing throws you into when you know if you're in your late twenties it was the first time I've been in Russia it was it was certainly it it wasn't like it was a, a trip around the Red Square and a and a, and, a, and, a, and a bit of mulled wine it was uh, it was straight out to somewhere remote which no one knew and it would like, disappear for three days. Talking about boxers and the way that you deal with them, you are present at most of the press conferences. And there's always a couple of highlights. I know that you've worked with some names in the past that have been pretty fiery. Have you had some that have been superbly hard to control or sort of any oh, uh, press conferences that have, that have really gone too bad for you? 
Loads. I mean, you know, there's the famous one, you know, um, can I swear on here? I swear away. I probably know. So, yeah, I mean, there's the famous one with Chris Eubank Jr. and, and uh, the, the, the Turkish promoter, Ahmed Ona, where he turned around and had a fight with the security guard and pulled his, you know, went over, almost headbutted each other. Then he went back, took his blazer off and rolled up his sleeves and then told him that he was going to fuck his wife um, <laughs> in his bed. You know, and, 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 and if anyone hasn't seen it, I sincerely... It roll, it rolling cameras live on German television and if you haven't seen it it is worth a, a watch on YouTube somewhere you'll find it but I mean the, 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 the character without any question uh, that I have promoted over the years he was second it, it, it's him and then there's no, no one else you, know, I mean, you, must, you must guess it Chris there's, there's the one and only I mean, Derek Chisora I mean the stuff that I have went through with Del Boy, and, and I love Del, and, you know, he's, he was, I used to call him my enfant terrible. Um, you know, he absolutely crackers. Uh, one of the, by the way, outside the ring, one of the nicest family guys you'll ever meet. Uh, a real gent, um, live, in the, live in a similar area in, in London, and we often bump into each other, the butchers. But... I mean, you know, what has he done to me at press conferences? I don't know. I remember once Dillian White, you know, it was all this heated argument between him and Dillian White. Big, if you're not from the UK, it was a big British heavyweight fight. And I remember we had the press conference in Manchester and um, Del Boy's come up and I've said, Del, come on, let's, let's have a quick chat before the press conference. We knew before it was going to kick off, it was live on TV, it was live on Sky News. And so... I said, Dale, listen, you know what? Today, let's try it different. Let's, you take, let's take the moral high ground here. Let's take the, you know, let, let, Gideon's going to come for you. Let him look like the, the thug, the, you know, the, the, the bad guy. Take the, let's try and win over some fans here. Let's, come on, we can use it. Trust me, it's like a counterattack. Yeah. Yep. I think that's a great idea. Sat down. Anyways, the press conference started and, you know, Gideon sounds off. Boom, 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 boom. You know, you're this, you're that. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to do you on the street if I see you. It was going off. Derek's just sitting there. Derek always sits at a press conference with his sunglasses on and he shows no reaction. But I, So I'm sat next to Dell, and all of a sudden I felt like the table sort of, and he's, getting, he's had a few questions. He's asked them quite sensibly. I thought, well, well he's listening to me. Well, that's, that's, I'm impressed, right? And then I've just felt the table start to shake. And it's his legs that started trembling. And then I'm looking at him thinking, I'm looking behind those glasses. His eyes are still closed, though. It's like he's sleeping. And he's sort of like dreaming and his legs are going. And then, boom, boom, boom. I'm the baddest man on the planet. And he's ripped the table up. It's me. No, it's Dell, me, Eddie Earn, Adam Smith from Sky, Gillian uh, White, Mark Tibbs. That was the top table. And he's lifted. He hasn't thrown like something at him. He's picked the whole press conference table up and launched it across, across the field. It gave me, I swear to God, it, I, had, I had a bit of stubble. I think it gave me a nice two millimeter shave. It was fantastic. And the, the pictures afterwards, is, you can see if you, you see, he was across the, all the back pages of the papers the next day. There's me sort of trying to lift the toad up, protect myself from the table. And, and, and he sort of half landed on Eddie and he's sitting next to me. And the, but the funniest thing was, I, I looked back at the tape 
And I was so shocked. I didn't actually do anything. I just stood there, like, frozen, like, what the fuck has just gone on there? But that was Dell. You know, I had another, I mean, one more, one more for the for the road or Dell. Weighing Germany. This actually, this one he was probably even better, but not so famous in the UK. But this one, so we had a weigh-in again. He was fighting Kubrat Pulev. I've booked the Four Seasons, right? The Four Seasons in Hamburg is the poshest hotel I've ever been. Let's say posh in terms of old school posh. You know, they've still got the old tea boys with the tea sets. They're very relevant for the story in a minute. So we've had the thing, the weigh-in, and actually, Dell. Was gonna, you know, and, and it's, it, there is sometimes a bit of banter, and, and, and uh, you know, it, there is a, a show element to it. But Dell was gonna basically, I knew that he had bought a big black dildo, right? And he was gonna hit Kubrat. He was wanted to, I don't know if he was gonna hit him or give it to him because they were talking about penis sizes earlier in the week at the press conferences. And I think he was gonna give it to him or give him a cheeky slap with it. And he had it in his hand. And they've gone to face to face, and I've seen it in his hand, and I'm thinking, oh my God, what's he going to do with it? Before he can do anything with it, so they're face to face at the weigh in, both tops off. Derek's got his trademark uh, Union Jack bandana on around his mouth, looks scary as hell. Kubat Pulev, don't look too unscary either, the big Bulgarian. Face off, right? You've got 240 kilos of muscle up there, right? No one is getting between these two guys. And in one of Pulev's corner, before Derek can hit him with a with, with a with a with a with a black dildo, has hit him with an Evian bottle. So he's jumped over the top and hit Dell with an Evian bottle. I looked at it like plastic Evian bottle. So I'm standing there. I'm thinking, oh my god! And I, you can't even say security, security in that moment. There's nothing you can do to stop Dell. Dell is like a buffalo. If he wants to run through, he will go through any. He'll go through walls, right? So they, you know, and. I just remember there was the room was packed. It was a ballroom, and he's forgotten about Pulev. The dildos dropped to the floor. But I kicked it away quickly because I thought that's the only thing I can do. To be fair, my brother, my brother actually tried to half stop him. I mean, I've got to give my brother he deserves a medal of honor for trying. And Derek has chased after this guy. He's ran through the kitchen. Some photographers running after. You know, with the, with the with the with the with the cameras, and Derek has, has cornered the guy in the kitchen, and is in that moment the guy with a tea set, like I said, old school tea set. You know, one of those those sort of uh, the, the 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 doorbell, uh, the, what is it, the, the doorman hats, and he's just looked at Derek. This guy storming through the kitchen after this Bulgarian, Derek with a bandana on, and has just dropped the tea set, and Derek. Just couldn't get hold of the, the, the Bulgarian and somehow managed to leg it and he, he got away. But man, I got a bill from the Four Seasons in Hamburg. I, it, I think it was at least 25 grand's worth of damage in there. Yeah? It was insane. The whole kitchen went flying and <laughs> it was uh, brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So no, that was uh, that was Derek Chisora. Yeah. Uh, but I've got, long, I've got more of Dell, but we've been here all night. Mate, I, my final question that I've had through my head throughout this entire thing. And I, I heard um, Eddie Hearn on the High Performance Podcast with Jake Humphrey, which is a really, really good one if anyone wants to check out about Eddie. How do you deal with the pressure that you have on you? Because this pressure is incredibly intense. You are like the crux of everything that's going on. The book stops with you. How do you deal with all of this pressure? 
No, I mean, listen, the, the, the pressure ultimately is you have a responsibility on the night. You know, there's so many pressure points coming up to it when, you know, you've got, you've announced the fight and, and someone tries to renegotiate afterwards. I've had that before. I've had so many, I mean, I'm not going to use the words blackmail, but, you know, there's, there's certain people, you know, they, they have a contract, you announce the fight, and then they see how big it is. And then they come back and say, oh, well, you know, actually, I want a bit more money. And you say, no, we can't be well, but look how huge it is now. I said, yeah, but that was my punt. You know, that's the thing. So there's lots of different ways you can work with fighters. You can work on percentages and, and, and take the risk and, and pay them a flat fee. So you get those situations where, you know, you either call it all off and say, right, I'm, I'm going to sue you because we have a contract and you're not following that contract. You call the bluff, you don't call the bluff, you give in, you know, if you give in once, you're giving for always, so you don't really, you don't give in, you can't give in, because it's the beginning of the end. So there's those sort of situations, but I think if you look at the pressure, I think I get nervous around fights um, um, that we mustn't forget what we do. We are the orchestrators of controlled violence. And that sounds really cool. That sounds like responsibility pure and like, wow, you know, man, what you do? Yeah, I put on fights. That's a cool one, isn't it? You know, that's a great one used down the club. That's a great one, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a pickup line. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> probably run the other way. But you know what? Joking aside, I have been with fighters and their families in a hospital room after fights. So the ultimate pressure for me is actually on the night when I get that call that everything from the doctor, that the whole thing has gone successfully. And when I say successfully, it's not the pay-per-views. It's not, that's the stuff for the Monday. But the call on the night that we have had a clean bill of health, you know, and that, and I've had horror stories, you know, and boxing, thankfully, today in 2021, is one of the safest sports on the planet. But we mustn't forget what the purpose of boxing is. Yeah? It's, of course, you know, you can talk about the first rule of boxing is defense. But let's face it, you know, um, as Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. That's boxing, you know. I spoke to one, one of my fighters, um, Philip Hergovich, I spoke to him in, um, in lockdown. He said, just dying to punch someone in the face. Kelly, you have to get me out. That's what they do. And, and yeah. Chris, we can laugh about it, and I laugh about it, and, it, and that's what we want to see. You know, there's two things since the start of mankind, since we have heartbeats, there's two things that will happen on the street right now, and we will both run to the windows and pick up our iPhones and start filming. Can you name them? I'll let you. Okay, I'll tell you what. The first one is sex. You've got a couple outside fucking... You're going to go to that window and you're going to start filming. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. How many videos have you seen viral? Oh, look, I caught them at the you know, hotel room and they were leaving against the window. You've seen it all. 
half a fake, half a real. Okay, sex will always sell. Will always sell. The other, violence. You see two guys fighting in the street. What's the first thing? Oh, where's the phone? Exactly. Those two instincts, yeah, are something that are in our nature. We can't change that. What I do is not the sex part, is, well, not, not at least for business, um, is I, my goal is to bottle that, put it on the big stage and get as many eyeballs as I can on that to give these gladiators the true platform. So I go back at the end now to the beginning question. What do I do? Chris, that is what I do. Mate, I love it. I've really enjoyed peering behind I the curtain. I like that myself, actually. Yeah. Very <laughs> arty, we, we have, very we profound. Oh, yeah, like yeah, don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but it's true. That's, that's what we do. And we mustn't forget what fighters go through deserves that at every level. If it's a club fighter and he's got his big night, you know, I've bought tickets for loads of white-collar events to, to support my mates. My brother had a few, you know. That's their moment, that walkout music, you know. That's that moment. And we should – that is something that should be celebrated. And, and, and you know, it's, it's not – I'm not putting down any other sports, yeah, but it's something very, very special and unique to give that for other people's viewing pleasure. The thing that really interested me was you talking about how unique boxing is with its pay-per-view. The fact that you can't get people to pay that money for football when you've got 11 guys on the pitch who get paid in a week what most people get paid in 10 years and all this sort of stuff. You are right. There's something ritualistic and sacred and symbolic about about boxing. And um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see behind the curtain. As a final thing, I know that you've recently signed... Mr. Eubank Jr., what yeah. what do you think? And obviously, you've got your uh, World Boxing Series and all this other stuff coming up. What should we be looking out for over the next sort of twelve to eighteen months in terms of people to keep our eyes on and events to look out for? Well, I think in, in terms of uh, start Chris, Chris Chris Eubank Jr. I mean, you know, he's been away for a while um, from the UK, especially he had the big fight against James DeGale, but that is. That's two years ago. It was a great victory, and he went off to the states, um, had some success there, and then unfortunately the the pandemic hit, and it hit him hard. You know, he's one of the one of the greatest trainers on the planet um, in, in his dedication. I mean, you know, he's got fantastic social media following, and you know, hangs out at weekends with Dan Bilzerian. You know, he's he's, he's a real lifestyle guy. If you looked at him on Instagram. You'd think, when, did, when the hell does this guy ever train? You know, it's, you know, him playing poker, it's him in this, you know. The guy doesn't drink a drop. He doesn't, he lives an absolute uh, pure life. Um, he's in the gym every day. The way he cuts his Instagram is fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he must have a film editor doing it because, it, I mean, it, it's like stuff that you watch on Netflix. But you will see him back this year. You're going to see him back probably... Um, late April in a tune-up and you'll see him in a very big fight this summer. Um, you know, we've mentioned certain names there, Kel Brook, for example. We've talked about Gano Golovkin, Murata. There's some very big fights in the weight class for him. And 
you know, this, um, it, he will fight three times this year. So that, that's that's from a UK perspective, I think, uh, something very much to look forward to. And on, on the World Boxing Super Series, we're going to be back with a new season soon. It's obviously, we had a, a tough time in the pandemic. We got we got finished. We actually managed to finish the second season during the pandemic, which is fantastic. And you know, we're we're, we're working on now to see. You know, there's great signs for all sport, isn't it? You know, this vaccine. You know, what everyone thinks about it. You know, let's 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 be fair. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and you know, I think for boxing and all sports and all events, you know, I think it's going to be such a bounce back. So anyone listening who's in, in, in areas hit, man, I tell you, I had the worst year last year, just, just mentally, you know, not, you're not getting out, not traveling, not going to events. That's what I've lived on for the last 25, 30 years, you know, my whole life really. And, you know, I think that those industries, whether it's music, events, nightclubs, enjoy living life tourism you know getting out there traveling again man this is you know people who tell me oh well the world's changed and we're all going to be sitting at home for the rest of our lives i can't do one mate you know i say this will bounce back we now will do this and realize how privileged are we are to be alive and enjoy and Everything we do, we will, we will not. Maybe in 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 a, in a year of so many miserable, disgusting news of, of watching death rates like there were the football scores. Um, maybe what has come out of this is that we will all take life a little bit more. I'm not saying more lightly, but in, go and enjoy. You know, enjoy what you do. You know, and if you don't enjoy what you're doing, then change, change something. I know. I know it's, it's it's easy to say when 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 I've been lucky enough to to, to work into myself into this position, but but at the same time, man, whatever it is it you do, just live, go and live, you know, and, and enjoy. It. You know, if you when I when I drink drink a bottle of water now, I, I, and it's nice and cold, enjoy the t- it's, it's the whole enjoyment of life, and that's going to come back big time, big time, people. So. Chin up, we'll get through it, you know. And that's that's not coming from someone who's just made billions off the uh, off the pandemic, you know. There's someone who's had a fucking shittiest year ever. But hey, I look on the bright side. I spent more time with with my kids than ever before. Um, <laughs> fucking homeschooling is one that I definitely want to fucking forget. Um, thank God for Google. Um, you know, but so, but let's, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always been a, um, a gl- the glass is half, half full sort of fella, but, you know, head up, pull up, let's roll up our sleeves and crack on. I'm looking forward to this year, mate. I really hope that everything comes back in line for you. Uh, if anyone wants back. to sort of keep in, keep in loop with what it is that you guys are doing, where's best for them to, uh, to sort of be updated yeah. with Team Sourland? I mean, we, I, we, Team Sal, you follow us at, on Sal and Brothers, Sal and Bros, S A U E R L A N D, Bros. Um, and yeah, catch us, catch us on social media, on all forms. I like to rant on Twitter. My brother prefers his Instagram. Um, but yeah, no, uh, we're out there and we're, we're looking forward to uh, to a big 2021. 
man thank you so much for coming on thank you very much chris